holy football season, Batman. We are <laughs> fully underway here. I had to go with the so, corny, you know. It's so corny. I, um, it's so but, corny. You know, what made me think of that was, uh, you know, just the level of violence that Brat- Batman brings as a superhero matched with the level of violence that an NFL player brings, but especially one Aaron Donald. If you've seen the video that has surfaced, because <laughs> so, my God, that got me uh, so good. It was uh, so. If you haven't seen it, please go uh. to Twitter. Uh, you could probably find it pretty easily. It's like a uh, he got caught on a camera. Obviously, NFL Network has had their cameras at every training camp, and so yeah. they have it rolling for you know the entirety of all of these camps. And you could just see Aaron Donald over by the sidelines. Uh, one of his teammates comes up. I don't even know which teammate it was. A, a lineman. Uh, and Aaron Donald grabs him by the throat. The lineman seems to understand what's happening here. And so he stands pat and then he proceeds to do this weird drill where he just like pushes his neck back, like about five yards of uh, shimmying. And then uh, does like a little bit swim move to end it. And I'm like, what the heck is it looked like the undertaker training for choke slams. Like, I don't know what else to describe it for. I will just say, I saw one of the great like memes about it. I saw was like, congratulations. You made the practice squad for like the Los Angeles Rams. That's amazing. Uh, uh, What am I going to be doing? You're your Aaron Donald's personal choke dummy. It's like, I I just, I'm trying to figure out what exactly that uh, exercise uh, perfects. Um, Yeah. It it, it must be something with, you know, obviously you want to extend your hands and get that level of sort of explosion and giving resistance of just like feeling that, like creating that short burst, something like that. I don't know. Like you can do that with, you know, just the pads. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not a coach, but you know what, if, if you're in that situation, you just do whatever the guy asks and you say, yes, sir. And, uh, whatever, what do you, whatever you need from me. And it is a good reminder, though, you know, people get this nostalgia. And I think, I think, uh, Hard Knocks and remember, Hard Knocks starts soon. We got oh, the gosh, Detroit I Lions. completely forgot about Hard Knocks. Detroit Knox. Lions, Hard Knocks. Guys, gonna be electric with Dan Campbell. Fighting kneecaps all August. Apparently, there's apparently Lions players have been signing kneecaps at practice. Have like, have yeah, they really? It's, oh, it's, awesome. it's gonna be electric. I can't That's wait. Awesome. Poor Jared Goff more. You know, they're um, actually they're for the off. first time. In a long time, they're an exciting team, I think. Yeah. There, I, there are elements to them that I, I'm looking they're forward to watching. I, I agree. Uh, but they, uh, but it's a reminder. But I think Hard Knocks, what it does sometimes is it paints this picture of like, do, 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 you know, Lee of Shriver's like, anyone can make the roster. You just got to perform. It's like, really, it's a 54-man roster. You have, you know, 40, 45 of the spots in between there that are pretty much guaranteed going into the start of every season. You then have like 40 guys who are there basically fighting for like 10 spots. And yeah. most of those guys, especially like linemen and stuff, you may be fighting for one of the 10. You know what I mean? Like you're looking for like one offensive lineman, one defensive lineman, you know, one wide receiver to add to the group they already have signed. But then there's those guys are all battling for those practice squad spots, those coveted 11 pla- practice squad spots. So it is important. I mean, it just goes to show like uh, how important it is, but also just how many guys will show up to a training camp. And it's like your job for two weeks was to get 
choked by Aaron Donald, then you get cut. Like it's, it's a brutal industry. Like brutal. If that's if that's the film he's able to put out there and yeah. be like, look at I, I handled the two-time defensive player of the year, Aaron Donald. His choking, uh, his choking drill. Good stuff. Well, we have my goodness, a stacked show today. Yeah. Um, and it's a good thing we did it on this Tuesday. Now that we think about it, uh, because of all the stuff that came out today, and of course the Watson suspension coming down yesterday. So we're going to touch on that. Of course, some big unfortunate news for Dolphins fans and for the Dolphins organization, uh, as well as a few uh, big money contracts for some wide receivers. And, uh, and we'll end it with some quarterback battle talk that we've seen uh, over the first week or so of training camp. So uh, I'm excited to get into it. And uh, obviously this story is not one that uh, we've enjoyed having to talk about, no. but uh, you know, we were saying uh, much earlier on that we were going to touch on it when big developments came out, but we're going to kind of let it play itself out. And this also might not be the last leg no. uh, of the Deshaun Watson story either, but Deshaun Watson officially um, suspended for uh, six games to start the 2022 season, that ruling coming down from, an appointed judge, Sue L. Robinson, a former federal judge. She was uh, jointly appointed by the NFL and the Players Association to hear the case. Now, the important part about all of this is that the NFL brought four cases to this hearing earlier in July. So that is what she was going off of, um, despite having knowledge of the uh, upwards of uh, two plus dozen uh, accusations levied against Deshaun Watson. But uh, she recommended a six-game suspension, which, of course, seemed light to a lot of people, uh, not just in the media field, but really across NFL fandom and elsewhere. Uh, her main thing, Mark, was citing precedents for past nonviolent sexual misconduct cases. Yeah. I know that you've heard Kyle Brandt. I saw you tweet out kind of his response. I heard he had another great one today. I really like kind of how he has framed a lot of this, um, especially when he says, you know, Nonviolent, that's kind of a weird thing to say in, 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 in these types of cases because you understand what it means. There's a difference between uh, physically assaulting someone versus implicit threats and things like that. But nonviolent sexual misconduct seems light for what we're talking about because there is yeah. a guy using his platform as an NFL player uh, to really not just make women uncomfortable, but put them in compromising situations um, that are non consensual. So uh, obviously, the league was looking for a full year. They have now two days to appeal this decision. And it's important to remember, Roger Goodell still holds all the cards. This guy could put down any suspension of his choosing. The point of doing this was to hope to come to an agreement with the NFL Players Association, not draw this out, and not have yeah. them sue the NFL back. That's where we're at right now. What were your initial thoughts uh, on seeing the six-game suspension being uh, brought down by Sue L. Robinson? Yeah, pretty shocked that it was just six games. I got to be honest. I, I mean, my whole thought, and I've said this for from day one, was do a year and just make it clean and get it over with and move on. And um, it seems as though to me that new precedent needed to be set. You know what I mean? Like the the and and I know you referenced the Roethlisberger issue and some of those things. You know, uh, Kyle Brandt, I think, said it best when he was talking about it. He said, well, that's one incident. And and that was, you know, as bad as that was, and, you know, Big Ben doesn't, he, it happened so early in his career and his legacy has grown beyond it. And, and um, 
you know, he settled everything he had to do with his, you know, accuser and, and what happened in that situation. But all, all signs point to like, in the end, you could, you can at least say like, that is someone who had a really bad night and maybe learned from it. You know what I mean? The same way that you could argue uh, a person who gets a, a DUI or something like that. It's one horrific mistake. It doesn't define who they are in their character. And, you know, it's not like Ben Roethlisberger every year was dealing with, oh, another bar incident where he was and a woman's accused him of something. Now, again, a lot in these situations is one is too many times and once doing something, yeah. anything like Ben did or anything, it's, it's horrific in its own nature. Um, and so, again, the precedent thing really bothered me because especially with Deshaun Watson, we, we talk about how his contract that he just signed set a new precedent, which reset the market. You know what I mean? So I just think that they're, I don't think the NFL did a good enough job of levying power with the judge of saying, this is something, you know, we need, we need you to kind of take out of our hands and it needs to be, you know, it, it needs to be severe in its nature. And I, I gotta be honest. I'm shocked. The judge ruled in as little as she did. I think one of the hard things about this case is we said from the beginning, as soon as we realized there was going to be no criminal charges, I mean, it's tough. We live in a country where, right, where you're innocent till proven guilty. And we, we, you have, you know, we fight for that right in society because every one of us wants to be able to say, Hey, if I'm accused of something that I know in my heart of hearts, I did not do. Uh, and I, you know, have proof or whatever can back it up that, yeah, you are innocent until you're proven guilty. But with Deshaun Watson, I mean, it's so obvious. This is someone going back to what I was saying with Ben, with the one night thing, this is behavior. This is a man who was getting away with things and kept doing it. You know, they talk about, again, this is maybe a bad comparison, but John Wayne Gacy is a serial killer. One of the, if you watch that documentary on Netflix about him, which I did, one of the things they talk about is once he got away with it once or twice, he, re, he almost that feeling of invincibility. Like I can do this. I have the, I now have the platform to do this. And it's certainly, and that's where the serialness of it comes in. Serial killer, the, the doing it more than and once. You and feed it, off of uh, yes. that ability to get away with it. And with Deshaun Watson, I mean, everything points to a guy that got away with it and was able to realize, oh, this is something I enjoy doing. And I, uh, and I, and I'm doing it, you know what I mean? More and more and more and more. And we've seen it with come out with the numbers that happen. Listen, I think in the end, I think it's too little of a sentence. I would fight for a year. The NFL wanted an indefinite to at least a year in uh, suspension. I think that's saving them a little bit in this situation of them being able to say, we recommended a year at least with an indefinite and let the commissioner decide. And she went with six games. Um, and I think, um, the NFL is in a really tight spot, but I think the Roger Goodell um, has to push to make this a larger, you know, try to get it up to eight or nine games and, and have a meeting with Deshaun Watson his people be like, you got really lucky here that they went six and that's the lowest end of, you know, it's what hit, apparently Deshaun's camp was saying they'd be happy six to eight. The NFL, if they try to go a year, you know that the P NFL PA and Deshaun Watson, his people are going to challenge that they're going to be, he's going to be able to play week one as it goes through all its arbitration. And just like Tom Brady, when he challenged his suspension, remember he ended up playing the whole year. And then he wasn't suspended for those four games where Jimmy G played for deflate until the year after, because he played that whole year as they were in court fighting the suspension. 
the NFL doesn't want that with Deshaun Watson. So I, I think the best, smartest thing the NFL can do from here would be to, to try to negotiate with Deshaun and his people in the player association on, we're going to extend this to eight games, uh, you know, add some more, get it half of the season, maybe nine. Uh, don't fight it. And we will, we won't touch your money. We won't, you know what I mean? We'll, we'll give you some breaks somewhere else. Uh, but six is just so light, Dan. It's so light. It just doesn't sit well at all, especially no. when you see the, the, the Ridley suspension and all the other countless things you can, you can combat it against. And, you know, the precedent for the Ray Rice's and the Ben Roethlisberger's, you got to reset the precedent for this. Anything involving accusations of sexual violence or, or physical violence against women uh, or any other person of an NFL player, the new precedent has to be a year, a suspension or something like that. Yeah, it has to be severe. And th that's the whole point uh, is that it's, it's a unique situation. There is no precedence uh, for this particular thing. Uh, 24 accusers is a mind boggling number. And not just that, but the, just the nature of the case in general. And the, the NFL argued that. And Robinson said that the NFL met their burden of proof. So all of that is just strange because of the conclusions that she came to, including determining that, you know, Watson was predatory in his behavior. Yeah. That these accusations did carry weight to them to the point where she was convinced in a court setting uh, that, you know, this uh, misconduct did take place. And so it's important to remember, this is not a criminal procedure. So it's no one's, saying that he uh, committed crimes uh, and felonies. They're saying he did not uh, live up to his, the, the personal conduct policy of the, which uh, is in every contract which he works. Yeah. And so really that place should be able to put down a suspension that they see fit for those rules. And I would argue as well to kind of your point at the end there about Calvin Ridley getting a year and $11 million uh, uh, off of his, you know, contract for gambling, uh, DeAndre Hopkins getting six games and, you know, X number of million dollars off of his contract for the year um, for the PEDs, just trace amounts. If this is all according to the proper procedures of the personal conduct policy, then there's a big issue with the personal conduct policy. Yeah, because agreed. If a guy smoking weed is as big of an offense as someone, uh, sexually harassing and in some cases assaulting, you know, massage therapists in the dozens, then we've got a real issue here with how things are laid out. So that might be even more of the problem here with some of this precedent stuff is the fact that they need to have better wording and they need to cut the crap with this, you know, uh, small time uh, issues such as marijuana, for instance, and really focus Great on some point. of the bigger issues that are domestic violence and uh, sexual assault and harassment and things of that nature. So that to me is what stood out the most. Um, as we mentioned, the NFL probably will appeal and by them appealing, it's more like they can also just choose to put down um, a suspension of their own. So we'll wait to see if that happens, uh, but it's got to happen within the next couple of days. Yep. Um, and, and really the final thing to put a bow on this in terms of the um, punitive nature of this, that's really upsetting is that, and we knew this going into it, that Cleveland structured his contract in such that it would favor Deshaun 
should a suspension come down. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. He was set to earn $46 million this year. He will make 45 of that with the suspension intact. He is only going to miss out on $345,000 because he's only making a million dollars base salary this year. The $45 million was all in signing bonus the league cannot touch. That's obviously upsetting and concerning as well as that. The guy is really, after sitting out a full season, you just have to sit in an extra six games and you're good to go, man. That's essentially what they're telling him. And the shadier thing to that too is, you know, you knew the you knew that the goal for Deshaun Watson's camp was really to settle a lot of these things to never actually have to go to court. And so part of that signing bonus was he's got all this money now to settle all these things out of court. You know what I mean? Because what a settlement is is here you go, here's a check, and 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 you know I apologize. I guess for whatever you think I did to you, and and th- this is enough money for it to have healed whatever wounds that it's not worth it to, to take you to court over. Um, and so, I, you know, that's what is also shady about this. I, I think the NFL has a little leverage in the sense that if they go to Deshaun and say, and his people and say, we're adding two to three games, this, we're going to get it to eight or nine, or we're going to do the whole season and you should not uh, challenge it. Is it that they have the leverage of saying, fine, if you challenge it and you appeal the suspension to Sean, like Tom Brady did, and you play this whole year, and then eventually our suspension will get upheld because we're the NFL, we make the rules, you'll be suspended all of next year, and next year is the year when you actually make money in your contract. You know what I mean? Like, those are when those game checks matter if he's missing time next year. So you can kind of leverage this contract against him as well and hopefully get to Sean to agree to missing more games uh, or a whole year because this is the year that he's already made his money in the signing bonus. You're going to only lose a million dollars if you don't play football this year, where you'll stand to lose $46 million if you miss the whole year next year. So the NFL might be able to leverage that against him and say, you don't want to go down this road. Do not appeal this suspension because you know exactly what's going to happen just like Tom Brady, only difference was Tom was going to miss game checks either way because he makes the same money, unlike Deshaun Watson's contract. So that's maybe the silver lining that the NFL has that trump card to play. And I, listen, I think it was smart for the NFL and the NFL PA to go to a mediator and say, hopefully we'd go to a neutral party, a judge, and a judge can just basically settle this for us, and then everyone's happy. But of course you know, a female judge and, and I, I don't mean to, you know, be despairing, but you'd think you like more of the gravity of the situation with Deshaun did would lean towards favoring the NFL. And she totally favored Deshaun and Deshaun's people apparently asked the judge for high end of six to eight games and she went six. And so it puts yeah, everyone yeah. in a real bad spot. If and the judge, if the judge had just gone putting in games, that, that I'm sorry to cut you off, but yeah, no, putting in that stipulation, at the end there as well that he uh, is mandated to only use team provided massage therapists. Basically. I I mean, it's basically her admitting like there's a problem and like we, we need to keep him away from, you know, uh, the other massage therapists in his community. It's, it's signaling that there's still, uh, you know, big concerns here. And, and it was strange uh, just to, to see, to see it come down that. I think if the judge had simply gone eight games, 
we all would have said it's a little light, but the NFL, I mean, you know what I mean? You kind of move on from it. But I just, there's just something about that six games, and it's such a little, especially well, you yeah, add this, less than half, you know. Well, yeah, you add in the 17 game season, and so it just feels so not uh, enough for a guy in the end who we pretty much know he committed crimes. He's not going to be charged for those crimes because of the NDAs and his own shady behavior and basically stripping away the rights of these women if they went to court to try to prove any of the crimes he committed. You know, unless they had secret cameras, but even then, I don't know if that would count as admissible well, yeah, evidence a, in court. They're in a tough spot in terms of, you know, proving. It. Proving, you know, it's basically a he said, she said um, between these, you know, more than two dozen women and him. Um, and uh, because they, the way they handled everything and, you know, stripped the rights and did all this, this and the other with the NDAs. So they were, these victims were really in a tough spot. And in the end, I don't blame any of them for just saying, I can reset my life and, and, and walk away from this trauma and move on and, and walk away with a nice, I'm sure, chunk of money from this guy. And you know, that hurts him. You know, that, that you get him back in that in some way, shape or form, it hits his bank account and that, that stings. And, um, and so I don't blame them for doing that. But in the end, as soon as this wasn't going to be a criminal charges against Deshaun, we knew it could end up being really sticky and a tough situation. And then it's, there are some people out there and they have every right to feel that this is maybe too many games or the perfect amount of games. I'd love to hear them try to make the case for it. The majority of the people I trust and I follow in the media uh, and who have thoughts on this and people I've talked to all agree. It's too little. We're not saying that his NFL career should be completely over, but you know what I mean? This is Michael Vick served his time and was able to get back in the league. You can't send him to jail because of, because of the way this all worked out, but it should almost feel like a two years away from the NFL last year. And this year would have felt at least a little bit more appropriate, especially the fact that he got that giant contract and we know he's going to be set for life. Yeah. Yeah. He is certainly set. And, and right now, if everything stands, he is set to um, see his first game action as a Cleveland Brown uh, late August or October, excuse me, uh, against the Baltimore Ravens. So yep. uh, Jacoby Brissett in the interim will be their quarterback. And, um, you know, they could be four and two at that point. And so the Browns are going to be an easy uh, schedule, probably right in the thick of things. Uh, should Deshaun uh, come in week seven and play for them the rest of the year. Can I ask you really quick, just down to football, do you expect Deshaun to play at all in the preseason? If you're Kevin Stefanski, how do you handle that? You say to yourself, the guy hasn't played competitive football in over a calendar year. He's not going to play for another six weeks. Yeah, you know, I mean, another two, I, you probably months. do want to get but him. Do you risk him getting tweaked and injured? You know what I mean? And I also wonder, I mean. Well, listen, if he does get injured, you have six weeks of recovery. Uh, yes. You know, I don't think we'll see him at all. Injured. I don't think we'll see him at all. I think they're going to run yeah. with Jacoby Brissett. You get him as much time and ready to go. And they're going to try to their damnedest to be three and three by the time he gets back. Um, I also, I wonder honestly how a lot of guys, I mean, the Cleveland guys, I'm sure are trying to support Deshaun and they want to win football games, but you got to think if you're Ravens, you're some of these other guys in these locker rooms, these defensive linemen, I'm not trying to say, you know, uh, bounty gate or anything like that. No, but they're going to be I think motivated a lot of to guys, get after. I think there's yeah. a lot of guys in the NFL have daughters who have wives who have, uh, people who are just like us, sickened by the story and what they heard, who are 
very excited to maybe uh, get a sack and a, and a hit on Deshaun Watson. Yep, yep, that's for sure. Uh, to some news that dropped today, Mark, as the bombshells keep on coming, the NFL dropped a bomb on the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Uh, as uh, as they have, um, well, they've they've been punished for violating uh, integrity of the game uh, rules and conduct in the NFL uh, protocols there, and uh, the team will now have to forfeit its 2023 first round draft pick as well as its 2024 third round draft pick owner Steven Ross has been suspended through October 17th. So that means he can't be present at any of the team facilities, any of the events. He's also fined one and a half million dollars. This is all stemming from them uh, finding that tampering violations uh, of uh, quote unprecedented scope and severity. The league said this had to do with the story Mark that we were talking right before we went on here that really just kind of went under the radar at the time that it came out. We touched on it briefly, um, but that the team had communication with Tom Brady uh, to get him either to come and play quarterback for the Miami dolphins or to actually be a part owner and, and take uh, part in the front office of the Miami dolphins. And then also to get Sean Payton to leave the New Orleans Saints and come be the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Of course, this is wildly against the league rules uh, for players and coaches that are currently under contract. You're not allowed to be in communication with them uh, regarding any sort of employment. Uh, So a couple of the quick findings here, and then we'll discuss the team. Uh, They they found that the team had uh, impermissible communication with Tom as early as August of 2019. He was still with the Patriots at that point. And throughout that entire season, his final year in New England. And then they also had contact with him in 2021 with the Bucks, and uh, made contact with him throughout that season as well. So two seasons under contract with two different teams trying to lure Tom to come to Miami. They also had communication with Peyton's agent, uh, which is also Tom's agent as well, in January of this year. Despite not asking New Orleans for permission, which you're mandated to ask the team for permission to interview or speak to their employee. Uh, This was all, of course, prior to Sean Payton's retirement announcement earlier this year. Uh, So uh, we'll we'll touch on that first and then we'll get to the uh, Brian Flores aspect of this because that's uh, that's a little bit less in terms of what they came down on the team for. But those initial tampering things that now that we think about like that is a that's a big deal that's a big deal it is well i I think of it this way does the punishment fit the crime if they would have gotten sean payton and tom brady and it all worked out right yeah it would be that would have been worth it it would have been very much losing two picks and a million bucks for your billionaire owner for so i you know i think i listen if you're a dolphins fan you're you're beyond furious because this is a team that's on the rise you're having some things going your way. You, you like the sound bites from your new young kind of out there head coach. Um, you, you love the, the new highlight of Tua throwing a 65 yard bomb to Tyreek Hill. And the last thing a team like this, it's on the rise needs is to lose two potential starters. You know what I mean? A, a, a first round pick next year and a, and a, and a third round pick in uh, the following year. I mean, those are, those are legitimate draft picks. Um, I'll just say this. It is one of those stories where I don't know what else. I mean, maybe a larger fine against the owner. I would have been, uh, would have liked to seen because again, it stems from him. 
And it stems from his willingness to basically be like, all right, I, I'm going to skirt the rules. Cause again, if you're talking about setting precedent, I think many owners would say, if you could give me the quarterback I want and the coach I want, and all I have to give up for it is two picks and a million dollar fine. I don't know what organization wouldn't do that. So you, you, again, where's the kind of precedent on this? And I think part of the reason why there's still punishment to come, depending on the Brian Flores, some of this stuff from that situation. So maybe that's part of it. I'm not hundred percent sure how it's all going to uh, play out, but I'd be pissed if I'm a Dolphins fan because those mean something to me as a team that has some momentum going and some positive vibes around them in the really tough AFC. And this hurts, but uh, it also it also does hurt in general because you can't even cheat right. You you end up paying these fines and you exactly. didn't get you didn't get. Yeah, that's why I tweeted out. I was like, and you they didn't, didn't get, get Tom the paid. Yeah. So again, it's a little bit of a mute point. If you would have gotten the guys the fine, whatever, you don't care. You didn't get it. It didn't work out and you're getting fined for it. It is, it's just like a bruise. It's like the guy who comes into work and he's still got like, you know, you, you could tell that something embarrassing has happened to him. He's got that like cut in his face and you're like, dude, you're, you work at like a, a sales job. And it's like, why were you out partying till like 2 AM on a Tuesday? And you show up, you know, looking a little beat up because you know, the stripper like smacked you in the face. Like, dude, that's embarrassing. Like you, we all know you're like, you're, you're a little bit of a joke here. Like that's what the dolphins feel like right now in the NFL circles. Like this is just, it's a black guy. It's embarrassing because you couldn't even cheat right in this sense. And you're paying a, a hefty price as far as it goes from a fan base as far as winning and, uh, and building your franchise. And of course the Brian Flores lawsuit against the team is still going on. And I, I feel that he had uh, there, he was validated in some aspects of this. And I think that that's, you know, it's ironic because the NFL is the one that did the investigation into this situation and came to the findings and these findings might aid Brian Flores in his lawsuit against the NFL uh, coming up here shortly, because of course, Flores uh, levied accusations against the owner, Stephen Ross for offering to pay him money uh, up to a hundred grand. I believe it was per loss so that the team could tank and get a higher draft pick in 2020. Now the league in this investigation said they found no evidence of, you know, uh, formal offers being made in terms of, you know, money for for tanking. However, they did find proof that Ross, you know, strongly indicated his desire to put tanking and losing as a higher priority than winning so that the draft picks would become the number one asset for that team the following yeah. offseason. So much so that they also found that Brian Flores credibly brought these concerns to other members of the executives who then, you know, tried to comfort Flores and tell him, no, Ross is on your side. He doesn't want you to tank, blah, 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 kind of paying lip service on behalf of their owner. Um, so Flores, at least, we, you know, outside of the money thing, we know Flores was telling the truth in terms of, what the mindset was like in that front office and what kind of pressures were being put on. And the league said, you know, it very well could have been a joke, but it's not up to Flores to determine what's a joke. So they did commend him for continuing to win. And uh, they had some big wins late in that season as well. But, you know, honestly, that's a little bit of hogwash. I don't, in terms of the joking thing, like, 
Flores seems like a, a guy to me who, yes, rough around the edges, very serious dude. Uh, he also strikes me as someone who's been around a lot of people in his life and would be able to tell whether something is said in jest or whether it's a nudge, nudge. Yeah. You know, there's some serious undertones to it as well. Well, and again, it comes back to the he. It's a little bit of he said, he said, in the sense that yeah. Flores is saying he did this. The NFL is saying, listen, it looks like, yeah, you're right. He did do this, but he's just going to sit there and say, come on, we're just messing around. Of course, I want my team to win, and you're not going to be able to prove it. But what the NFL is basically saying is, listen up, owners. This is BS. Like this, you're literally the integrity of our league and the idea that every team is trying to win is paramount for our gambling, for our all these other partnerships, for the stability of fans and like rooting interest. Every team has to be committed to winning every year. Now, you know, certain teams aren't going to win the Super Bowl, and every sports league understands that from. You know, and uh, you know, even the EPL, like what was the big thing when Leicester City like won? It's like, well, it was a miracle, but like you you went into the season thinking, oh, they're not gonna win. But that has nothing to do with the fact that it's not like we're trying not to win. You just know there are certain quarterbacks who are more talented than others, certain coaches more talented than others, and depending on where they're at, you feel better about a team's chances of winning or not. The Lions could win the Super Bowl this year. Um, it, the Lions are actively, it seems like, trying to win the Super Bowl. That seems like their goal. The Dolphins and any owner who alludes to the fact that tanking is more important is not good. And I would say, like, the Falcons, like, it's tough. Like, we talk about the Falcons. Like, it appears as though the Falcons are not trying to win many games this year. It appears as though the Seahawks are not trying to win many games this year. But. They're not actively saying to their coaching staff and to all these other things like, we are going to try to lose and and uh, and anything like that. They, you know, they, they're teams that they, the quarterbacks they're starting and the way they're heading into a season, it appears as though they're saying, listen, this is a reset season for us and we need to see some things from certain people. But, you know, that's what's so stupid about this as well is, we as fans all understand that the NFL understands that happens. But if you're stupid enough as the owner to actually say that to your head coach, a guy yeah. that you should know is a really serious dude, Brian Flores comes off as a no-nonsense, Mike Tomlin, coaching tree-esque kind of guy where it's like, you know, uh, extraordinarily by the book, serious. I mean, he's a Bill Belichick guy for crying out loud. That you're going to go up to him like, <laughs> you know, you want a hundred thousand dollars to just lose the next three games. I'll give you $300,000 to lose the next three games. You're like, excuse me? <laughs> Yeah, like that, you got to be smart. So he Ross deserves the black guy, the embarrassment. You know, go back to the, the weird metaphor I made. Like that is that is what I'm saying is the NFL is trying to make this a big deal to announce the rest of the league. Like, we will find you. We will call you out and embarrass you. And your fan base is going to be pissed as hell. And the Dolphins fans are uh, because their owner pretty much seems incompetent. They should sell the team yeah, to Tom yeah. Brady. And frankly, I don't think the guy, he cares that much. I no, mean, he's he, what is he like 85? He's he's in Miami, he owns the Dolphins. Like, what does he care? 1.5 million dollars to your point, too, is 0.0001 percent yeah. of his uh, you know, total uh, worth. I, I mean, it's like, oh, oh, I can't be around till October 17th. I guess I'll just go party on my yacht for a couple months and watch the games from there. Like, like he's oh, very you know. involved, anyways. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, does he know? Does he even know who Tyreek Hill is? Like, who knows? No. I don't know. Might not. Um, we had some big contracts come down over the past we couple did, of days. We did. Too. 
Mark. Um, the Seattle Seahawks uh, signed DK Metcalf to a three-year, $72 million extension with $58.2 million guaranteed. Yeah. And it came with about a $30 million signing bonus. So a big, uh, big guarantees for DK Metcalf for sure. This deal was strange to me, though. Like, from I, Seattle's completely strange. Yes. DK, I get it. Like, yeah, absolutely, man. You signed a three-year uh, huge guaranteed deal, and you're going to be a free agent by the age of 27 or whatever. Do it. Awesome. Uh, from Seattle, this makes no sense. This is your rebuilding window, and you're paying I know. three years, $72 million for uh, a prime playmaker on offense. You're going to hurt yourself in the cap in the interim while you're rebuilding. You don't even have your franchise quarterback yet. Yeah. It's a very bizarre situation, unless they really like if they were confident that they're going to just have this guy long-term eventually, then like an eight-year deal would have made sense here for me. Like just make this like a max seven-year deal yeah, to lock him up for the long-term so that you can get through this rebuild. He's going to be entering free agency right as they're prepared to win again. It is weird. It's almost like they're, it's almost like they are there. They knew that the the dolphins thing was coming down and they're trying to show the league. No, we're not tanking. (laughs) <laughs> it's not DK. We brought we brought in with DK's back. We're not tanking. Don't don't yell at us for tanking. That's what it seems like because you yeah, the league will come right. back and say you have Drew Locke as quarterback. Yeah, 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 you're you're absolutely right. You nailed it. It is a weird time frame. The Seahawks are not going to be good until four years from now, probably. And DK Metcalf is with them this year, next year, and the following year, not four years from now. But I do think what it what what the only thing I can make sense of this is, is two things for DK. Yes. He like, he gets to take another big bite of the apple when he's 28, he'll be, you know, firmly in his prime, if not the back end of his prime, but he will be, if he continues on his trend, still a big receiving target. He, he could be still a huge asset for a team that's ready to maybe win now. Uh, and you could sign a, you know, sign money when the cap is going to even grow. Yeah. And the cap is going to keep growing, you know, over the next couple of years. So he, he's got more money coming his way if he can stay healthy and be productive. Uh, but if not, at least it locks him up guaranteed money, really, really incredible money. Uh, you know, it's not the hundred, hundreds of million dollars, you know, generational wealth type money, but really good money that he'll be, him and his family should be fine for the rest of his life if he invests it well and all that type of stuff. Um, but I mean, even if he doesn't, let's be honest. Yeah. You can he, mess up with like twenty million of that and still have thirty-eight million left. Yeah, you still be in, in not terrible shape. <laughs> he um, but I think the other thing is maybe Seattle really does have a plan for either Drew Lock. Maybe they really do see something in Drew Lock, and they want to yeah, give yeah. Drew Lock the chance. And in order to give him a fair chance, you have to give him DK Metcalf, or they say to themselves, "We need DK to try to make sure." we can attract the free agent quarterback we want next year. You know what I mean? Or if Seattle is Seattle's very confident that we're going to get one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the draft next year, he comes in and immediately has DK Metcalf for a year. Hopefully they create that bond. They have that second year with DK and then DK wants to stay. So it's, it's gotta be one of those two type of things that if you're DK, he may not wanted the long-term deal, he wanted the big guarantees. I'll, I'll stick with you through this one bad year. Maybe they sold him on whatever plan I just said and saying, hey, we're going to go after Aaron Rodgers next year. We're going to go after insert name here, and we're going to try to be big players. we got a ton of uh, first-round picks, a ton of assets. We're going to get aggressive in the quarterback market next year. 
or uh, or maybe they said, you know, whether it's a rookie, whatever it may be. So that's the only thing that kind of makes sense to me, but great for DK. And clearly the Seahawks are trying to avoid the uh, tanking penalties from the NFL. Yeah, and, you know, maybe they were worried that Debo Samuel was going to walk and that uh, the 49ers were going to scoop up DK from Oh, yeah, that, that would be bad. Possibility too. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Debo did get locked up by uh, uh, San Fran uh, just a day later and uh, pretty much the same deal, very close. Yeah. Uh, three years, 73 and a half million. And they're very comparable players, in my opinion. They are. They are. They're big, You know, obviously Debo does more on the ground game, but they're big, physical, strong dudes. Um, great after the catch. Um, yeah. So he, his is a $73.5 million extension, 58.1 guaranteed. So 0.1 less uh, than DK Metcalf. But there are incentives baked into this, and they're very small incentives, which is interesting. So this was clear to me that obviously we knew that uh, Debo um, was arguing that, you know, he plays two positions. So he wanted to get guaranteed money and wanted to get peace of mind knowing that he's being used as a running back and as a wide receiver and the shelf life is a lot smaller uh shorter well he got more money he got the money and uh they they put in there as like a cherry on top each season he can make up to six hundred and fifty thousand dollars uh for reaching 380 yards on the ground and 150k for three touchdowns on the ground as well. Yeah. So he's likely to meet one of those two each year, if not both. Yeah. And this kind of says to me that the 49ers are saying because that's not the, that's not a whole lot of money there for the incentives that they're still planning on using him the same way. Like we're gonna we're not we're fine with you reaching those incentives, and we're gonna use you the same way. And it seems Depot's like fine. I'll take that three years. I get my guaranteed money. And, uh, and, you know, we hope that after three years, I'm not, you know, driven into the ground. Yeah. I mean, it's literally, you know, it's almost 800,000, 800 and something thousand dollars extra a year to let us. Well, so the thing is he's only allowed to make up to six fifty. So if he gets the, the 380 yards rushing and the three touchdowns, he only gets the credit for the 380 yards rushing. It's, it's a weird. It's a, it's well, a whatever. I mean, still though, it's, it's, it's yeah. good extra money for him to say, at least there's, at least there, that's an incentive. I mean, that the money yeah. Debo got is more than any running back got. It is, it gets, yes. and it's not, but it's not. Maybe Bell would have loved to get that. Yeah. It's not nearly what, you know, the top, top wide receivers get, but I don't think anyone would argue that Debo's value his most value is the fact that he's versatile. He's not. DeAndre Hopkins. He's, you know, he's not just an elite wide receiver. He's not Justin Jefferson. He's not Chase, uh, um, Jamar Chase. So he's brilliant as an all tool athlete and a, and a unique piece in that offense. And again, I think it's a, it's a very, it's a contract that makes a ton of sense. And I tweeted it out. I knew this deal as soon as they named Trey Lance, the starter would get done. This is what you do. When you're paying your quarterback nothing because they're on the rookie deal, get make sure all his weapons get paid and you pay weapons to be around him. It's one of the frustrating things about how I feel about with the Bears right now is like I just don't feel like they've spent enough money when they're not paying Justin Fields anything, and that's partially because Ryan Pace put him in such a horrendous hole. Uh, but this is what the Niners are good at, right? They're, they're going to go out and make sure that, that Trey Lance has a chance to succeed and uh, and it's the same thing with the Seahawks I didn't even mention it but when you're paying Drew Locke nothing what you got to spend your money and DK Metcalf is worth spending the money on that's for sure 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. If you, if you want your team to succeed, which we've talked about, they're in that championship window, yeah. even with Trey Lance at quarterback. And, and you could argue too, that Debo is most effective in the San Fran offense. We haven't seen him elsewhere, Yeah, but the, Kyle Shanahan just is so smart at scheming up things and getting people into space. And that's where Debo thrives. Um, you know, there's Kittle's t- had his injuries. Yeah. Ayuk is, is talented, but unproven, um, ultimately. So you want to get a guy that has actually produced and, uh, to this point has relatively stayed healthy despite yeah. you know, some injury, uh, troubles last year, but, uh, I, it's a good deal for both sides. I think in this one, uh, maybe even more so for the 49ers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a solid deal all around. And then, Sam, well, San oh, yeah, Fran's just a we. They're just going to be such an interesting storyline all year yeah. because, you know, this is a team that two out of the last three years was in the NFC Championship game. One time they were in the Super Bowl, and now they're going through a quarterback change. And some of the pieces in that three-year window that they had are older, more beat up but also some new guys, they've lost their, their OC. They lost their defensive coordinator two years ago with Sala. So they're just an interesting, I don't net know where to put my finger on the Niners in the weaker NFC. They feel like a playoff team, but does that mean you're going to get three out of the NFC West? I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it's just one of those things that I have to, the more we just were talking about them right now, I just kept going to, you know, in the next couple of weeks, we'll do our official predictions. And I'm I'm a little lost on the Niners. I don't know yet how I feel about what they're going to look like this season as far as the whole, because Trey Lance is just such a such an unknown. Yeah, it's it's a tough one to predict. Uh, I agree. The rest of the team is fairly intact and you feel good about where they're at as a unit. Uh, but the quarterback is such an important role. And uh, that's obviously uh, a lot of question marks there with Trey Lance. So we'll see how he's able to do. So far, you know, the good thing is that they have committed to something. If if it was a thing where we're waiting around with Jimmy throughout yeah. the training camp, that would have just been the worst situation for Lance and for the 49ers. Agreed. They're committed to him. They're going with it, and they're going to ride it out, uh, ride or die with Trey Lance as their quarterback. Quick sidebar, I've already bet the Bears to cover the six and a half. They're, they're forget, for game one of the year, Niners at Bears, Soldier Field. Bears are getting six and a half points at home, an offense that has never been before been seen. Um, Trey Lance, I just thinking it's one of those things where the wind, the wind. I struggle with that one. I don't know. The wind off the lake. I just think that's one of those weird games where you look back. Remember when it was like the who lost to the Jaguars in Week One? It was like Indy or a couple years like. You know, those weird week one losses, like the Titans yeah. got destroyed. Well, hey, the Steelers beat the Bills week one last year. Yeah. So <laughs> things like that where you're like, wait a minute, what happened? I just have a feeling that's going to be one of those Justin Fields, maybe a late heroics. Trey Lance throws a pick late, and all of a sudden you're like, the Bears win, you know, 19 to 16. And you're like, what the hell did we just watch in Chicago? Who has I, better rushing production in that game would be an interesting. That's going to be huge. It's going to be a big part. Trey Lance. I, it's going to be. So I just want to put that out there as we were talking about it. I I've already For put sure. the money in. on. I feel good about it. One final contract I want to discuss is a record breaking yeah. deal that went down. Oh. Chris Boswell getting a four year, $20 million extension with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ties him with Justin Tucker. Highest paid kickers in NFL history, 12 and a half million guaranteed. 
and gets a $20 million extension. This was awesome because I remember the trajectory of the uh, search for a kicker in Pittsburgh. Uh, this would have been, I want to say it was 2016. It might've been 2017 when they had Sean Sweezum, but he got hurt. And so they lost him and knew that they were going to have to search for another kicker. They traded for the Jaguars, Josh Scobie. He gets hurt the first week of the preseason. They're like, okay, fine. They go out and get Garrett Hartley from the New Orleans Saints. He gets hurt the following week uh, in a preseason game as well. So they have three injured kickers in the matter of three weeks, and they end up doing these, you know, random tryouts to see who they can get in. And uh, Chris Boswell comes in uh, out of nowhere, ends up uh, eventually landing the job. And here he is, uh, the highest paid kicker in NFL history. And look, Chris Boswell has been dynamite. He's been, uh, you know, Justin Tucker gets all the love amongst kickers. Harrison Butker being a big leg well, guy. But, Chris, well, they've done it for a long time. They've had a, a little longer. Oh, run no out. question. No question. But Bos for, you know, six years uh, has been as, uh, as consistent as they come. So I'm glad they got the deal done there and, like being a, a kicker in the NFL, it's uh, as you know, well know, a uh, very important uh, position in this league, especially come postseason time. Well, as as you know, Boz is the king of Acrisure, and uh, when you <laughs> when you right, got to yeah, deal yeah. with the elements at Acrisure, the wizard of Acrisure. When you are when the winds swirl, the rivers combined at Acrisure Stadium, beautiful Acrisure. Uh, there is, uh, it's tough. You got to hear Lee Schreiber say that. Uh, yeah. That. <laughs> now, I need a little, I need a little Leo Schreiber for, uh, for Acrisure <laughs> stadium. Yeah. That's the stuff. Um, all right. Let's, uh, touch on a couple quarterback battles that we've seen. So uh, oh, yeah. I had the fortune of uh, attending Panthers camp last week. Uh, we got to see Baker Mayfield come and speak to the media for the first time as did Sam Darnold. Uh, they have been splitting reps, alternating with the ones and the twos uh, each day. They'd go with, uh, you know, so Sam Darnold got ones for the first day, and then they uh, alternated on day two with Baker getting the one. So they're trying to get that consistency with one group of receivers at a time from day in and day out. Uh, you know, honestly, early on, it looks like it's a pretty even uh, split between the two guys. They are different types of quarterbacks. Uh, Darnold is obviously the bigger guy. Um, a little bit more athletic, certainly could is capable of a 35-yard touchdown run. Uh, but Banker has that, you know, off-script mentality, the gunslinger mentality, and is uh, probably more accurate with the football overall uh, than Darnold. So it's an interesting uh, to see the two work. But Matt Corral has been the guy that has been first at practice every single day since the beginning of uh, training camp. That's awesome. And he's been looking pretty good too. So, uh, you know, he doesn't appear to be – moving his way to reps with the ones full time or anything like that. But it is just an interesting thing to note. They're not paying Baker very much. So look, if it doesn't work out, it's not like it's the end of the world and they know they're stuck with Darnold either way. So if Macaral somehow did win this job, they'd probably love it. They'd be happy. And even though they're paying a lot of money on the bench, but um, I still think, I think Baker wins the job, but I do think it's his back is against the wall because Darnold at least knows the players and knows the system. And that's something Baker's got to get over in a short amount of time. Remember he just got here a week ago, already predicting off of ago. your, of your reports that we will at <laughs> one point in time, 
see all three of those guys start a game for the Panthers this year. I'm predicting. That would be fascinating. Would, I'm, I'm <laughs> predicting it. It's going to be one of those seasons. Uh, they'll start with Baker. Wow. They'll end up being 0-3. They'll go to Darnold. He wins one, but then loses two straight or gets injured. Uh, they can't go back to Baker because Baker's kind of just lost and he's pissed. And then, uh, and then Corral gets a run, but then he gets tweaked. So they have to go back to Baker and it's going to be a mess of a season. Uh, that that's one of my bold predictions. Put it down right now uh, for the year. All three quarterbacks will start at least one game for the Carolina Panthers. You know, each of the past three years I've been, you know, relatively high on the Panthers as opposed to like, the general public. Well, we know last year. We still remember. Well, certainly last year. Last year was a disaster. Had them winning the division. <laughs> had Matt Rule winning coach of the year. Dear God. Um, the the uh, it's it's hard to envision the offense being worse, especially because they they did get uh, Icky Aquanu with that first pick, and he is a stud on the line. Second year Brady Christensen. Well, McCa- and McCaffrey's guy. back. And and McCaffrey's back healthy. Um, you know, second year wide receiver in Terrace Marshall. And so look, there are, there are things to be excited about from that aspect. It, it's just, we just don't know what the deal is with the quarterback position. And that's so important here. Uh, we know the defense is solid uh, and their, their division is not that difficult. Um, it's just, if you have, if you have turmoil at the QB position, it can go south so quickly for you and we've yeah. seen that happen uh, plenty of times throughout the years it'll be fun to watch i i tend to lean agree with you i think baker will be the starter day one but i mean when baker it's has short leash, was, though it when you oh yeah and when you saw see the videos coming out and i know you can't overreact to training camp videos but he's under pressure makes a bad decision like throws an yeah. easy one up to a linebacker interception that's the stuff that baker just can't do take the sack and be like look at my offensive line is shit you know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. that's what you got to blame it on. Like you can't, you got to protect. The problem is when you have a competition like the Panthers have right now, it's not even a competition like Mitch and Pickett in, in Pittsburgh. Like we'll talk about, and I like this could maybe be the transition into it. The, the competition in Carolina is like, no, no, no. Darnold and Baker are literally playing for their NFL lives. They are playing for their NFL future, like the opportunity for them to still get paychecks in the NFL. Mitch is not Mitch will have jobs in the NFL. Mitch is Mitch is well-liked. He is, he's accepted easily into the role of the backup. He is not intimidating in any shape, way, shape or form. The media loves him. And if he gets beat up by Kenny Pickett, no one's going to be like, Oh, well, there you go. Mitch Trubisky never going to play again in the NFL. That dude will be a backup for 10 more years. He's the next chase Daniel. He really is. And, um, uh, and, and with Kennedy Pickett, it's like, again, you're not, you're not out there every throw for your life. Every throw it's like, Oh, you're a rookie. It's okay. We're learning. And we're just happy you're here and let's get, let's grow. Let's get better. And yeah, you want to try to win the job because you're a quarterback who's doing that. But with Baker and Sam, every interception gets the play on social media because every interception for them is another, is another notch on there. Like you're moving closer to the doomsday clock. You're, these guys, yeah. Darnold will not be on a roster next year if it if it goes really really south, and Baker may not either because they're just they don't have the personalities uh, and this and the the look for the the backup quarterbacks in this league. It's a it's a tough position for them to be in for sure, and and to go kind of transition into the Steelers situation there, 
it's kind of fascinating. I, it's only been one week. You can never overreact to one week's worth yeah. of reps and production. But Mason Rudolph is <laughs> he is he's the clear front runner right now. Honestly, like it's, it's kind of wild. Uh, I now a lot of people are still saying you know Trubisky is the guy that's that's going to it's his job to lose. But Rudolph's not going quietly. I mean, he's been getting a lot of reps with the ones. Uh, in terms of the limited stats that have come out of camp so far, he has far uh, pr- produced far better than the both of those guys. Now, the benefit he has is five years in the Steelers system, whereas Trubisky and Pickett are both getting used to this thing. So, look, this a lot can change come preseason games when we actually see what happens live fire this week with the pads on. Uh, I think ultimately Trubisky wins the job. Rudolph second, Pickett firmly in the third quarterback spot, which is exactly where Ben was his rookie year. And you see where the chips fall at that point. There's no pressure on Pickett, despite him being more NFL ready than any quarterback in this draft class. I don't think the Steelers took him solely because we need him to be able to play this year. Yeah. But if they need him to play this year, then they can rely on that and comfortably know that they can at least put a guy in there that's capable uh, and doesn't need to be taught, you know, more of the raw, uh, initial things that an NFL quarterback learns, but uh, it, it will be interesting. You know, Trubisky and Pickett also are pretty similar type quarterbacks in terms of they're, you know, pretty athletic. I'd say Trubisky's probably more so, um, but, you know, it's an interesting battle to watch. It's exciting for the first time in, in my, you know, Steelers fandom to, to see a, you know, see how this is going to shake out and not knowing who's going to be there. Um, and it does feel like this offense is going to be better regardless than it was last year, but it's so early on, man. And it's, it's hard to tell, uh, you know, pads are on this week, so it'll be a better indicator. And, uh, meanwhile, we've got our first preseason game coming up this week. So this is, uh, no, we, we oh, have NFL you. football for every week now up until, uh, February. It's crazy. And it feels good. I will, I'll just say my final thing with the Steelers, uh, situation is, if, if listen, Mason Rudolph can, they can say all you want. You can, you know, the numbers in practice, but we've seen that dude just completely fold in live game situations. Like, we I mean, the Lions last like time. a, like a deck of cards. Cause the dude is just not a gamer. So the one thing I'll say about Mitch is Mitch is a gamer. I mean, Mitch always yeah. uh, battles and, and you know, some of the quotes you're getting from Mitch being free. Now the bears for a couple of years, it's just so damning to how bad, it got with Matt Nagy and the bears uh, after, you know, his first year there. And so I'm uh, I, I agree. I think Mitch will win the job, but I do think if the Steelers, unless Mitch gets like injured, you know, before we, you know, in weeks one, two or three, I don't think you go to Mason Rudolph. I mean, if it's Mitch gets injured week one, yeah, you go to Rudolph because you don't want to throw Kenny Pickett out there right away. Yeah, but I think if, if it's, it's week time, eight, if it's any time after week six, seven, eight, that's when you say, all right, kid, the season's now about the rookie and you go. So Rudolph's in a weird spot. And listen, if you're Rudolph's agent, if you're Rudolph, you're trying to promote that as much as possible. And you're going to take all the reps you can and as much preseason action as you can. Cause again, that's a guy who's trying to fight for his NFL future, throw it. You know what I mean? Like literally does he get a job somewhere else in camps or or uh, on a roster somewhere, if it's not with the Steelers, possibly. I think people look at him as like a a guy you could bring in as a is a spot 
one game starter or a or a you know a, yeah. a, just a, a, another reminds me arm. of like a Matt Moore kind of yeah guy, an arm in the know. building you know if you need another arm in the building a guy to take reps if you you know if you have a a veteran quarterback who uh, who you know you're maybe worried about if they miss a game or something but it's in, it's it's important it, it's just what makes some of these battles so so unique but uh, I hope I hope for if I was a Steelers fan I'd want Mitch to start. And yes. ideally, I'd want Mitch to start the the majority of the year and try to win and make a playoff run, especially with the Browns as crazy as they are. Um, and then and then give Kenny a whole year to just absorb, learn, and uh, and then you you know you go in next year and you say, all right, it's fair game, Mitch versus Kenny, and may the best man win. And you you know by that point you you probably kind of like the Niners did you. You let Kenny win and the job, and you trade Mitch for something. You know, Mitch is on it last year of his deal. Get Mitch out of town, and uh, and maybe get a, a third round, fourth round pick from him for a team that needs a, a backup or a spot starter. Yeah, you know, I'm actually curious um, because, you know, I know we're going to do our our full predictions in a few weeks down the road, so we don't want to give like yeah. too much away. But I am curious to hear your perspective on how you think he'll do in the Steelers offense and how the Steelers team will look, because obviously, you know, I can, you know, being fans, we can be in a bubble sometimes. I'm curious to see what like your perspective on how you think Mitch would fit in this offense and the Matt Canada system and how, uh, how you see him maybe, you know, fitting in to this offense. Well, I, listen, I think that it's a uh, opportunity for the offense to look very different. And that's what I'm excited about watching Steelers football this year is because the, one of the things that's been so frustrating with the Steelers the past, you know, two, three years, the end of Ben's career, especially is the dude couldn't be under center. And you're literally just in a shotgun, every four wide, uh, three wide, uh, you know, and there's just, you know, no unpredictability to the Steelers offense. We're going to throw it 45 times a game. And Ben is going to hopefully hit on one or two big shots. And then we're going to dink and dunk down the field. And I think this, so I'm just excited to see how different the Steelers offense looks. I think if you build an offense, you know, for Kenny Pickett, Mitch is a guy who can execute that offense. Well, really well. And Kenny can also slide into it and it'll look different depending on their strengths. I think it's, it's great. I think in that division with the tough defense that Cleveland has, the really tough defense that Baltimore has, you need a guy who can be mobile and Mitch is, is mobile. So he can extend plays. Uh, he can, uh, he can buy you time in the pocket. And with the wide receivers, the Steelers have that, that is a, 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 you know, a good symbiotic relationship as well. I said this, you know, I live near Missouri on the Mississippi river and I got a lot of chiefs fans, my station that I work for, actually, we play chiefs games on Sunday. We have a contract with the chiefs and they, um, um, with a lot of chiefs fans in this area, and one of the things that I don't think even Chiefs fans are talking about, it's a similar thing with the Steelers is like, I'm beyond excited to see how different the Chiefs offense looks without Tyree Kill. Like Tyree Kill is one of those pieces where you don't just get another guy. Now he fills Tyree Kill's role. No, no, no. You, you had plays that were like, we only have these plays because of Tyree Kill. So you remove those plays. And then at with a creative, brilliant guy like Andy Reid, that just now he has 25% of the playbook. He just goes, Ooh, all new stuff and with new toys and, and pieces. So in a similar way, the Steelers chiefs, those are two AFC, you know, powerhouse teams that have looked certain ways for the last couple of years that I think are going to look different. 
Uh, and that's exciting in that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they've got guys that can stretch the field, young guys, Chase Claypool. George Pickens uh, looks like a monster early on uh, in this uh, yeah. NFL preseason, too. He might have been the steal of the draft uh, at the wide receiver position as well. So I'm excited to see how these guys uh, actually get time to get downfield. Uh, that'll be exciting to see uh, for sure moving forward. Uh, a couple notes I wanted to touch on before we close out the show, Mark. Uh, and uh, we got some unfortunate news here out of the Broncos. Wide receiver Tim Patrick tore his ACL. Oh. So he is now let's ride. out for the season. So let's ride. Um, it's going to be Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton uh, as the primary targets there. Obviously, uh, not as big of a hit as, um, you know, having one of their top two receivers, but still that's a weapon there that uh, Russell Wilson will not be having. Uh, this season, unfortunately, tough break there for Tim Patrick, talented guy, especially out of the slot too. So uh, we'll have to wait another year for that. Um, the bears announced that uh, they are taking calls. Well, they didn't announce, but uh, the, Leaked, the reports yeah. are that they are taking phone calls uh, for their second round offensive tackle, Tevin Jenkins from 2021 yeah. second round pick. Obviously, a lot of people thought he could have slid into the first round that year. I remember thinking that he might have been a first-round pick. I believe I did mock him to the first round, if I remember correctly. Um, obviously, he got hurt last year. He missed the whole season. Well, he showed and, up with a back injury. He had a yeah, back injury when right. they drafted him, and that was one of the concerns. Pace traded up for him. He cut Leno, who was not a great tackle, but a solid starting NFL tackle. Sure, yeah. In the hopes that you have this young guy who can be – your future left tackle with your future quarterback. It seemed like that's what you do, right? You draft a quarterback, you go get the tackle to protect him. And he was a mess last year. And when he finally got healthy, the reports were that he just wasn't working out right. And he wasn't, you know, competing well at the tackle spot. And uh, they moved him to guard and he had a really rough showing at guard. And uh, this year was supposed to be that, you know, that, Hey, best shape of your life, all healthy. Let's go. And apparently the, he just, uh, there's rumors that he's very immature and the bears are not happy with him mm. and they're not happy. And remember whole new regime, the only person who's safe and he's only safe for a short time in a brand new regime is the quarterback. Like, because he's a second year quarterback, he's the only one who the bears are tied to. You have a new GM, new head coach, all new staff. You know, Fields was the only one they're like, all right, we took this job because we like Fields and we're going to work with him. But if in two years Fields stinks and they can't make it work, that the coaching staff and the and the and the you know the GM will be like, hey, we get our chance to go get our guy, right? You know, that's how this game works. So, yeah, a guy like Jenkins is touted as he was. If you're just not gelling with the coaching staff, you're not gelling with the front office. Who Reminder, the, their new front office, that GM, uh, Ryan Poles, is a former NFL offensive lineman. He had a cup of coffee in the NFL, but was an offensive lineman out of Boston College. Like, this is the thing he knows the most. And so I trust him. I trust Poles in saying that if this dude is causing more problems and now there's a, a maybe a foot injury, then get what he can for him and move on. And that's saying something because this Bears offensive line is bad, but they did just sign a couple veterans uh, over the weekend, uh, guys that, you know, have starting experience in this league, you could uh, play multiple positions. So this the Bears offensive line is a real concern for me going into this year. It's going to be a, a long year. 
uh, at the offensive line spot. One of the reasons why James Daniels letting go, getting rid of him was is just still frustrating. You. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, and so it is the as much as the Bears need wide receivers uh, and they need some pass rushers, they really, really need upgrades of the offensive line. And uh, they're they're possible possibly trading a once very high touted prospect who's only a second year player. That just means to me it has to be something just not sitting right with this organiz- with this new regime and this talent. So um, I, I have to trust Ryan Poles at this point in time and just say, yeah. whatever happens, happens. Yeah, it is unfortunate. Uh, I can't imagine they're going to get much of a return for him. Meanwhile, Roquan Smith continues to hold in or hold out. Um, yeah. What, what, what do you think? Where do you think this situation is going? What, have you heard anything from um, as polls address this or, or have, have they even discussed getting a contract done? Well, here's the thing. I, from what I'm reading from certain sources, you know, in, in of people I trust in the Chicagoland media, there have been talks uh, and polls has done him solid. He put him on the pup list. So here's a guy that Roquan is, 100% healthy, ready to go. And his GM puts him on the pup list. Why? So he doesn't get fined for missing training camp. So that's a huge good faith move, right? That is, you like to see that. That is using, kind of cheating the system, but basically saying to the most talented player in your in your organization and a guy who um, you absolutely, if you're the Chicago Bears, your history of being linebacker, dominant defensive dominant defensive head coach you absolutely need Roquan Smith as a part of your future he is a stud and if you're going to trade a Roquan Smith that is a multi multiple players and and first round pick type of deal like a huge deal you would yeah. need to give up for a guy like him prime entering the prime of his career so I think the deal will get done I think the problem is a little bit for Roquan is there haven't been a ton of big middle linebacker deals done recently, except for like the Bobby Wagner deal, but that's a guy who's at the end of his career, has all these accolades. So how do you judge him versus a guy who's rising? I mean, maybe you look at the Darius Leonard deal, but they're different players, even though they play a similar position. So I think that's part of it with Roquan is a little bit of what's the precedent for Roquan Smith. Yeah. We know the precedent for the D, the D lineman, the edge rushers. We know the precedent for wide receivers. You kind of even know the precedent for corners. I mean, the corner market you saw this offseason, there was deal after deal after deal. You don't really know what the market is, so I think that's part of it. Uh, the Bears, I think, would be willing to reset the market and say this is what we value Roquan at. Again, what did I mention when you have a rookie quarterback? You have you should have money to deal with. The problem is Pace left the Bears in such disarray with bad, bad cap decisions and moves that I think things were a little tight. So I think they're trying to figure out a way to, for Roquan to maybe get a really big signing bonus. And then that, you know, can kind of contort some of the money so they can keep them. And, and maybe they're looking at years, you know, maybe I'd imagine Roquan wants to be there a long time. The bears will probably want him for a long time. So what does that deal look like? I think it's good. I feel good that Ryan Poles put him on the pup because that's like, yeah, all right. Yeah. Two guys, let's that work together. There's not animosity. There's not animosity. We're not like just getting camp. You're under contract. None of that. It's a this is your franchise player right now. I know Justin Fields, but Roquan Smith is by far the best player in your franchise. He is the future leader of your defense and someone you should look at as 
a Brian Urlacher type figure should be here for 12 years. And if all things go right, multiple pro bowls, all pros and, 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 and that type of, that type of production. So um, I feel it sucks. He's not there. I'm happy because he can't get injured, but I do. I would like to see a deal get done and I feel positive towards it because they did him the solid of putting him on the pup list. I did notice that Eberflus had mentioned that he's likely going to move him to the will linebacker spot on the West or uh, the weak side. Uh, that'd be interesting. I didn't know how I felt about it. I mean, it, it does make sense because a lot of um, uh, offenses now are attacking that side because so many of the best defensive players are, you know, stacking elsewhere. So to be able to kind of offset some of your other weaknesses on yeah. defense, I, I just, you, you do want him though, being the quarterback of the defense and you want him wearing the green dot. So uh, he will. will be interesting. He will. I, I think that's one of those things too, where Eberflus, um, you know, maybe just how playing much of, around with ideas. Or yeah. Something. How much like, of that is stuff. I, I don't know if I necessarily, you know, we'll, we'll see again. Once, yeah. once the bears line up against the Niners, we're going to learn a lot. I mean, that's always, I know a lot about coaching changes. Uh, the one thing you can get excited about with coaching changes is that week one, you it's like the, the amount of film you get to digest about just like, Oh, okay. That looks different. This is this what is it's different. like. Yeah. This yeah. is what it's like. You know, remember Iberfus does run a, a different defense than, you know, the bears have been running for the past couple of years. So it's, it's back to a little bit more traditional and yes, Roquan is a little more undersized and you look at him as more of a, in a traditional kind of four, three, maybe more of a, a, a weak side linebacker. Um, as long as they have him as involved in the game plans as he's been, he's yeah, a tackling yeah. machine. He is an absolute uh, sideline to sideline monster. And, uh, and he plays the game the right way. You don't see Roquan Smith getting a lot of targeting calls, late hits, anything like that. He, he's got a good head on his shoulder. So, you know, get, get that deal done. Finally, uh, James Washington suffered a Jones fracture. And uh, so that's like a hit to the Cowboys receiving core, kind of bringing a question into their whole receiving core in general. They are being depleted. Uh, You know, they had the Amari trade. They get this injury. Um, You know, Michael Gallup uh, is on pop, I believe. So it's, it's like, you know, where do we go from here in terms of Dallas? This offense is coming off of being the highest scoring offense last year, believe it or not, per yeah. game. Um, they're in trouble. Now, this is a team, though, that I think OB, OBJ is waiting on the market. Like, the Cowboys. Well, I didn't think about that. And it would make sense. Like, da- OBJ in Dallas would make sense. Um I, I think that might be something that's going to have to happen because Washington's going to be done for the year and they don't, they don't have, they lost Cedric Wilson. So they got, it's my, you know, it's Michael well, Mark Cooper. And, uh, remember Mark Cooper's wearing a Browns uniform, right? It's CD and Michael. And one of the things I, man, I would love to see them sign OBJ. Cause talk about, smart, right? talk about the times that, what kind of mixtape would his dad release when but Dak's not throwing him the ball? You know what I mean? Like that <laughs> yeah. is, Talk Jack's about too nice of a guy, though. You would never do that. So much yeah. fodder for the morning shows, the the undisputed <laughs> and the first takes. They would have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, it is. A, it's, listen, uh, Dallas was going to take a slight step back this year anyways because their defense just could not produce it the way it did last year turnover-wise, right? But you had a feeling that their offense 
could be just as equally good. And in a weak NFC, maybe that equals itself out, right? This is a concern because if Washington's your third, that's a great receiving core. That's a really great receiving core. But when Gallup's your two and your one is a guy we believe is a one, but we've never seen him as a one-one, and now you kind of have this open gape, gaping open hole at the three for a team yeah. that um, very much loves to throw the football around and, and, and spread them out. Interesting enough. I trust Dak, though. Dak's a grown-up, and Dak can create relationships with receivers, and we've seen him do it in his career. Um, I would love OBJ. I think that'd be so electric. Talk about storylines. But um, I think OBJ is just waiting, and he'll, sign, he'll re-sign with the Rams when he's healthy. Um, but we'll see. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, it's a, bu- it's a bummer for Washington, too, because he's a good player, and that was a, I thought he had a chance to, you know, have a sneaky 600 yard couple touchdown type of season in the high, you know, passing offense that, that Dallas does. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree. Well, we can uh, take a breath. I spent a lot of stuff today. Tons of news. Heck, heck a lot of stuff. Um, of course there's going to be a lot more injury news and, um, other things. Some players coming off a of pop going on it over the, this week of camp with the pads on, uh, we have the game uh, that Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne won't be participating in, and yet I'm still going to be watching because, damn it, it's football. Who is it, and Jags versus? It's Jags versus the Raiders this Thursday. And uh, okay. you know, we're probably not going to see any starters really uh, nope. for, for the Raiders either. Uh, that's, you know, it's the Hall of Fame game, so it's it's the bonus game. Uh, they're the only ones that are going to be playing for this uh, this preseason. So, um well, but, but you just get to see com- guys competing for jobs. You get to see some football. And so I'm looking forward to that. That should be fun. Absolutely. No, it, it's uh, it's exciting times. As you said, we now have football games from now until post Super Bowl. And remember the week after the Super Bowl this year is the XFL return. So yeah, look yeah out. true. I didn't watch any USFL. I mean, like yeah, if it was on either, TV, right? I watched, a, you know, a little bit of it. I couldn't get into it. I had no, there was empty stadiums and just nothing for me. Well, I just, I don't, I don't care if there's no attachment to program or player as like college football gives you right There's yeah. There's, you know, storylines and things about players that you're interested in seeing and programs uh, succeeding in various spots. And then obviously the NFL, you know, all these players and stuff. I just, I just can't get into it. There's too much other good football to watch. Yeah. That agree. Even though it's spring. I, I can't bring myself to the really XFL will be interesting because I liked the XFL pre COVID and it was doing yeah. okay. They had good crowds. And it's very different. And St. So. Louis had the team and I'm, I'm really close to St. Louis and the battle Hawks are back. I don't know if they're going to keep that same name. I hope they do because I went out and I almost bought battle Hawk merch. I was ready to adopt, you know, I'm a Chicago everything, but now I live closer to, you know, only a little over an hour outside of St. Louis um, and so, you know, I, I could get behind rooting for the, for the battle Hawks. I'm a, I could become a, I could become a, a hardcore sword with wings fan. Uh, that was the logo is a big broad sword with wings. It's like, this is insane. And I love it. So, uh, so we'll see, but, um, yeah, uh, lots and lots of stuff to get to. And we will start putting our official predictions. Uh, we'll probably do that. I don't know what the week before the, the season starts. Yeah, we'll get, probably. We'll, we'll, big... well, we might do the NFC 
uh, you know, two weeks before, then the AFC the week before. So there we go. I like that. Yeah, I like that because it's getting each one will take an hour for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll probably split those two. Can we do the AFC. Well, we didn't discuss uh, the Hall of Fame <laughs> class, but I'll just say Devin Hester not getting on the first ballot was a uh, was tough. Don't worry, the Bears will be in the Hall of Fame game next year because of him. What's that? Bears will be in the Hall of Fame game next year because of Hester. There you go. There you go. That'll be nice to see for sure. He'll get it. He'll get it. I I want his intro to only be Jeff Joniak saying, Devin Hester, you are ridiculous. They're they're 100% going to put that in there. That is just every single time he went back. That was Jeff Joniak, baby. Yep, and then obviously the Super Bowl call because that was just such a memorable. It's like everyone knew that that was the year too where he just went off, and it's like everyone knows like you don't want to start the game off this way. I remember where I was in the biggest game. I remember where I was. uh, All that feeling. John Jorgensen was wearing his Vince Young Titans jersey. Uh, We uh, it was electric in my living room, and uh, and it all went. The rain, the rain killed. The rain. Well, Rex that, Grossman, that Rex Grossman you know, Cedric Benson. It doesn't matter that Rex Grossman played his college football in the state of Florida where it rained all the time. <laughs> Dude, as soon as it started raining, it's like he never played football in the rain before. <laughs> yeah. The hell? Hey, Cedric Benson also oh. uh, couldn't hang on. I got Cedric Benson's autograph on a Texas hat. He appreciated that. I went to oh. Bears camp. Wow. I was at Bears camp, and I was like, see, Benz. Signed it, uh, signed the Texas hat. It was like, eyes of Texas are upon you. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll have plenty more to discuss uh, yes. as well. So until then, watch some football, everyone, and we'll see you back here next week.